Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Coming to you live from the middle of Missouri in Columbia, this is Tony Richards along with producer Bill. Hello. We've got an outstanding show for you this week. Sarah Hill is my special guest from Story Up VR, and we're going to talk about virtual reality and augmented reality and therapeutic uses of virtual reality, and it's going to be a really cool conversation. I can't wait for Sarah to join us here in just a few minutes. I'm going to take more listener questions and answer some leadership and business questions. By the way, if you'd like to contact our show, you can do that. And our email address is info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you if you have questions you'd like for us to talk about or answer here on the program. You can also do a hashtag on Twitter, if you like, with better than before. And uh, we will pick that up off of the old internet machine and answer your question. People have been asking me if I was going to say anything about Kavanaugh Supreme Court deal. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. However, I tell you what I am going to talk about. I'm going to talk about how much other people are talking about Kavanaugh's <laughs> situation. I have a poll here, and the question that was conducted in the poll was, has the Kavanaugh nomination prompted conversation among people where you work? And the results were 53% said yes. The Kavanaugh nomination and situation and hearings and all that has prompted conversation among people where they work. And 27% said no, it uh, has not been brought up at work. Not surprisingly, split out among Democrats and Republicans, the numbers are almost the same. Democrats say 56% yes and 24% no. And Republicans say 57% yes and 27% no. Pretty evenly split there. Among friends and family, 74% said yes, I've talked about it among my friends and family, and 24% said no. Three-fourths of people are talking about it. More than half of Americans say they have had conversations about Kavanaugh at work, and almost three-fourths have been talking about the debate with their friends and family. Encouraging news, more than three-quarters of Americans say their discussions with each other have been civil. Nice. Yeah, that's good. 50% disapprove of Kavanaugh's nomination, while 45% approve. That's about as same as margins last month. The gender gap is substantial. Only 36% of women approve of Kavanaugh compared to 55% of men, but not among Republicans. 89% of Republican men and 86% of Republican women approve of the Kavanaugh nomination. Among Democrats, 92% of women disapprove of Kavanaugh compared with 82% of men. Independent women are largely against Kavanaugh. 54% oppose him and 29% support him. Snapchat. So Snap, I guess, is just the company name. And you know how when we have uh, various business leaders on the program, I ask them, uh, what are your top objectives coming up for the coming year? Right. And the Snap 
CEO Evan Spiegel says, make a profit. That's his number one goal. He has given the directive of achieving first full year profitability in 2019 and has refocused the company around a new set of strategic goals, including a 15-page memo sent out to their employees last week. Spiegel says Snapchat rushed our redesign, solving one problem but creating a lot more. In our excitement to innovate and bring many new products into the world, we have lost the core of what made Snapchat the fastest way to communicate. And his memo comes at a time when the company's stock is trading at all-time lows. Hmm. So Mary Barra, speaking of CEOs, Mary Barra, who is the chairman and CEO of General Motors, says federal legislation is essential to enabling a smooth transition to the world of autonomous driving. Hmm. So driverless cars. And you know my big excitement about driverless cars. You know what that is, right? I don't. Everyone at the stoplight will go at the same time because now you're sitting in the line waiting and the person at the front of the line is on their phone or looking at their screen and the light turns green and you're six cars back and you're going, go, go, go. And they don't go and they don't go. And finally they see the light and they just floor it and they go through the intersection and the other five cars are stuck for another light cycle. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'm looking forward to is everybody will know their turn at a four-way stop. So you think that'll be built in? Oh, people drive up to a four-way stop and they get their phone out cuz it's like, "Oh, I'm stopped here for a second. I've got to get my screen addiction in." And they'll uh-huh. pull out their screen and then they don't know who's next. And so uh with autonomous cars, we'll just go when it's our turn. Right. So uh, big picture here, zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. That is the General Motors autonomous driving vision. These potential benefits of self-driving technology can only be realized when self-driving cars are deployed in large numbers and when riders feel comfortable and secure. I showed a picture of General Motors car with no pedals and no steering wheel in a presentation. Mm-hmm. And the one guy goes, I ain't getting in that thing. Federal legislation would provide a path for manufacturers to put self-driving vehicles on the road safely while allowing continued innovation. Current federal law prohibits deployment of self-driving vehicles without steering wheels and other conventional driver controls. And other regulations for self-driving cars can vary from state to state. The Self-Drive Act, passed by the House of Representatives and the AV Start Act, pending in the Senate, would direct the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration to issue new and revised safety regulations on an expedited basis. These bills would allow safe self-driving deployment during the period between enactment and NHTSA's issuance of new regulations, but only by manufacturers that prove that their self-driving cars are as safe as human drivers. I'd think they'd be safer than I some say the bar set pretty low. I know. I've seen some human drivers where I'd rather ride in the car with no steering wheel and no pedals. So the big federal budget's coming out. Bill has done amazing research with our supercomputers here at Clear Vision, and he's discovered how all this is broken out. Right. So how do we spend in our money in the federal budget? Well, let's start at the top. Okay. The, the number of how much money we're spending this year is $4.094 trillion. Of that budget... $985 billion, that's borrowed money, about 24% of the budget. Wow. Okay. The way the budget's broken out is 
62.6% is mandatory spending money that no matter how they decide it has to be spent a certain way. Well, the government is about the only entity that can operate this way. <laughs> I mean, where you're just constantly at a loss and nobody else could could do that. Right, right. And year after year. Right. Uh, and then 374 is discretionary. So they, they decide on that amount where it goes. You know, I, when I used to run a company, a lot of my managers would send in their budgets and the miscellaneous column <laughs> would be really fat. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not going to pile a bunch of stuff in miscellaneous and spend it however you want it. You're going to have to tell me mm-hmm. what that money is for. Show right. me your plan. So now they got 37.4% to just spend as they please with no plan. Right, right. So, and, you know, that's also includes military spending and... Um, Down here on your list, it says 22% defense. Yeah, but that falls in discretionary. They, they can decide how much to spend on defense. Um, so second is Social Security at 25% of the budget. And then, as you mentioned, 22% for defense. 8% of our budget is spent on paying back interest. So am I the only one that feels weird that my Social Security which is that 25% there. Mm-hmm. Mine is probably in there because mm-hmm. I'm probably going to be collecting it in the next 20 years or so. Right. It's coming from a budget where they don't really have the money. Well, they're, they're deficit spending right now, yes. Yeah, I was just saying, does anybody else feel funny about that? Or? Yeah. Well, you would think, but we keep doing it. Yeah, you're, that's true. And then 8% for welfare, which is food stamps, unemployment, and, and housing like uh, public housing. Um, and then 3% education, 2% for transportation, and here's the 2% other. Yeah, other. That's like miscellaneous. Right. And 2% sounds small, except mm-hmm. it's 2% of $4.1 trillion. Right. I mean, that's a pretty big number. Pretty healthy, yeah. Yeah. And then just 1% for protection, that's government officials. Um, and then like bodyguards and secret service and things like that. Exactly. Okay. And then, so where does the money come from to, uh, pay for the budget? 47% is income tax. So not even half is being generated by income tax. Right. 34% is payroll tax. 9% is corporate income tax. So big corporations Mm -hmm. are paying less than 10%. Correct. And that's, a pretty big number, nine or ten percent of four point one trillion. That's a that's pretty healthy too. Yeah, yeah. and then nine um, percent is excise tax, estate, and other taxes. And I broke out what excise taxes are. They are the sale of certain goods like fuel, alcohol, and tobacco. Uh, estate tax is from deceased persons and their heirs. Yeah. So if somebody dies before when you take over their estate or it gets passed to you. They're going to nab you with some tax. Yeah, their ears. Yeah, I'm going to have on, I have a, a legal expert here in Columbia that is really sharp on estate planning and family transfer of assets and stuff. I'm going to have her on. Oh, that would be a good, uh, good one. Coming up in a future podcast. But yeah. 47%, so that's that's uh, $2 trillion right there if it's almost half of $4.1 trillion. Right, income tax. So half of it, wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you'd think it'd be higher. You know, it's kind of interesting to see the budget. I'd never really looked at it before, how, how it all breaks down. And, you know, you always see, I'm trying to think of who runs the number that shows the deficit building up. Mm-hmm. 
And so I was just curious, you know, in a well, year. Well, I'm sure there's probably been created a Bureau of the Federal Deficit <laughs> that's tracking how much in the deficit we are. I don't doubt it. But there you go. There's the federal budget for 2019. Okay. Well, there you are, folks. $4.1 trillion. Hope you're taking advantage of all the products and services that are being offered because you're paying for it, right? That is for sure. Can we just get a road or two fixed, you know, or a, a bridge or two firmed up? or Right. Well, you know, 2% of our budget is transportation. Maybe we could up that 1%. Maybe we could. So meanwhile, a private foundation called the MacArthur Foundation has named 25 different academics, activists, artists, scholars, scientists, and etc. So 25 people to receive $625,000 over five years to use any way they please. Wow. And so they're picking these academics, activists, artists, scholars, and scientists, acronym ASS, a A A S S academics, activists, artists, scholars, and scientists to probably do something worthwhile. They probably picked these people because they're going to spend it in the use of humanity's sure. best interests or whatever. But I can promise you this. If they gave me $625,000 over the next five years, I'd have more than $625,000. <laughs> I would be able to invest that money and grow that. Uh, right. Rather than uh, going to zero. So one more interesting statistic, and that is it now costs the average business $20,000 for an employer to insure a family. That's crazy. So when your family is on insurance benefits at most companies, it's going to cost them in the neighborhood of $20,000 annually. Mm. For employer-provided family health plans, average annual premiums rose 5%. See, 5% seems small, but it depends on what percent of the number you're talking about. So 5% raise this year went to $19,616, according to the yearly poll of employers by the nonprofit Kaiser Family Foundation. And I always used to say when I ran a bigger you know, operation mm-hmm. that it was going to cost us one full-time employee every year in insurance raises. So the raise across the board for everybody that we were insuring was going to probably equal a full-time employee. Wow. But now it seems like that's it's higher if it's 20000 per family. Right. I mean, that's 10 is $200,000. That's a chunk of change. That's, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And then finally, under the just crazy-ass stuff, and again, I don't talk about politics, but I am going to talk about a politician. Last week, Senator Ted Cruz and his wife went out to dinner to this restaurant called Fiola. It's a downtown restaurant where an incident took place that has gone on and gone on and gone on. And this was in the Washington Post, this story. Protesters interrupted Ted Cruz and his wife before they even sat down at dinner chanting, We believe survivors. We believe survivors. This is a reference to Christine Blasey Ford and the whole Kavanaugh situation. The cruises were escorted from the restaurant via a side door, apparently never to come back to the restaurant. The outrage machine immediately engaged, and Fiola's social media accounts were attacked. Its Yelp page was bombarded with one-star smears of the restaurant. Fiola's phone and reservation lines were tied up with calls, 
sometimes 50 calls a day from the same number. The owners and the staff of the restaurant were threatened either for not doing enough to protect Cruz and his wife or for allegedly tipping off protesters that the senator and his wife were going to be dining there. That seems stupid, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, given what they had to put up with. Wow. Ruining their dang business. Mm -hmm. Dining disruptions have clearly become a tool for progressives looking to express their frustration at the Trump administration and its supporters. In June, right before Sarah Sanders and the Red Hen, protesters confronted Kirsten Nielsen, the Homeland Security Secretary, as she tried to dine at the MXDC Cochina Mexicana. Also in June, a diner at Espita Mescalaria called Stephen Miller a real-life fascist while the White House senior advisor tried to eat at this trendy Mexican restaurant in Shaw. I mean, what is wrong with people? Yeah, civility has just gone out My the goodness, man. I understand you're upset, and I understand you have your views, and I understand that you need to express yourself, but why in the world would you do this to... I mean, soon we're going to have people who just don't want to have anything to do with office. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to want to run for political office. Why would you? I don't know. I mean, people are treating you that way, and they're posting on this restaurant social media and putting one-star reviews on there and and blasting them and tying up their line. They're trying to serve customers and take reservations and book catering, and these people are jamming up their line, screwing with their business. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't see harming another person's business. I don't really see doing this to, to them either in public. Well, what's the gain? Well... It's just a way to express themselves and relieve their tension and anger and stress. Yes, but, but at the cost of somebody else. I mean, it, it's a lot easier to be able to explain your anger mm-hmm. than it is to express it. If you can explain your anger in a sensible way, sometimes you can get things done. But if you express your anger in an unsensible way, people are going to think you're a crackpot and that your views don't matter mm-hmm. and you lose all credibility by behaving that way. Sarah Hill standing by in the Clear Vision Green Room, and she's coming up next here on Better Than Before, sponsored by University Subaru. From here, been here, will always be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home. Which means we care for customers like we care for the community. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here. Been here. And we will always be here for you. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control, but that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. 
So excited today to welcome a very special guest that I've been wanting to have on better than before uh, for quite some time. She's an old friend of mine and also a former media person. Uh, that's kind of how we met and connected. Sarah Hill is here and her company is called Story Up. And uh, I'm really, really thrilled to have you on today. Thank you. I'm really thrilled to be here to talk about virtual and augmented reality and geek out about anything you'd want. Yeah, and I want to get to all that. But first, tell me a little bit about Sarah. Like, where did you grow up? I grew up in Canton, Missouri, population of about 1,500 people. Went to school for a little bit at Southwest Missouri State and then um, came to the University of Missouri and graduated from the journalism school in 1993. So that's how I came here. Worked at KFRU and KBIA, KOMU, KRCG TV. Was a news anchor for about 20 years. Went to work for a great company, Veterans United, for about three years. And then three years ago, started my own company, Story Up, which has a product called Helium. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this or not, but you and I were sitting at Panera Bread and you said, I've got some news for you. And I said, what is that? And you said, I've turned in my resignation at the TV station and I'm going to be going to Veterans United uh, to work in marketing. And I said, you know what, Sarah, you're never going to be as happy as you will be as when you start your own company. And you looked at me like I had three heads, like that ain't never going to happen. But I just saw that in you. I saw that entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirit and that enthusiasm. And I could just tell that you wanted to have some control over your own destiny. And I'm just so happy that you've been so successful and your company seems to be doing really, really great. Yeah. You know, I was working for a fantastic company and was really well supported and we stumbled on virtual reality by accident. We were trying to find a solution for a group of these terminally ill and aging World War II veterans who weren't able to physically travel to see the memorial. And I had been working on that as, as a side project, as a passion project, using technology, augmented reality, to try to live stream some tours to these veterans. Well, I don't want to gloss over that. I mean, you were really involved with Honor Flight. Uh, are you still involved with it? I'm involved with their virtual tour program for Honor Flight. And uh, myself and, and half a dozen other phenomenal individuals, Mary Paulsell, Steve Paulsell, Sharon Paulsell, Scott Schaefer, Barb Ruggerman, all started that program. And they have pioneered and pushed forward still to this day. Um, and I took a bit of a break and come back into the program to lead their virtual tour. For the veterans who aren't able to physically travel, Honor Everywhere is what it's called. And that's the program that I co-chair with Michelle Spry. And for those who don't know, Honor Flight is a program that takes World War II veterans to the memorial in Washington, and it's a plane trip. Right. And how long is it a day or two days? Yeah, they leave really early in the morning and, and come back really late at night. But sadly, a lot of these men and women, they're 80 and 90 years old. They're too frail to travel and sure. the travel could quite honestly kill them. And so their doctors told them they can't travel or they have some other heart condition. So this is the next best thing. We ship them goggles and they can feel like they're at the memorial and look all the way around. And in the process of doing that at Veterans United, we noticed that VR appeared to be affecting their physiology. They would take off the goggles and they would say, I like how I felt. Can I watch that again? Mm. Or, you know, that was that was cool. And we would see their bodies relax. They would lift their arms um, when some of their caretakers would tell us, well, you will have to put the goggles on for him because he can't lift his arms. But yet halfway through the experience, you know, this uh, gentleman had his arms 
above his shoulders trying to reach out for the people that he saw on the screen. Uh-huh. So VR has therapeutic value and that was how we got into it was doing these hundreds of demos with veterans and really watching how they were feeling the media, not just watching it. And so tell me about some of the feedback you got from them where, I mean, I'm sure they were thrilled because there wasn't any other way that they were going to be able to do this. So what what were some of the things they told you? Yeah, a lot of them were emotional. A lot of them thought that they never would have had the opportunity to see it. And they were overcome, not just with the experience, but the fact that someone took time out of their day to bring them a special experience that took them back to say goodbye to some of their friends and soldiers, sailors that they had served with. And also the deep appreciation from the family members. We get all kinds of letters from people just really thankful that right before their loved one passed away, they had an opportunity to see it. Mm. We have 29 pages of letters from these veterans and veterans' families. We have 50 of them on a waiting list right now who are waiting for us to be able to ship them goggles. We only have six pairs of goggles, so we ship them out as much as we can. Sadly, a lot of these men and women pass away on our waiting list and we're not able to get to them. We had a lady write us a couple months back that her father had the virtual tour and then he passed just the day after he had it. So these are really timely, important experiences for these men and women at a time in their life that, you know, could be one of the last moments that they get the opportunity to spend a tender moment with their family. So uh, as you mentioned, the size of the amount of World War II veterans is shrinking. So do you do this for Vietnam veterans also? Yeah, we have done about four or five uh, different experiences. We've captured the World War II Memorial, the Korean Memorial, the Vietnam Memorial, and then the Women's Memorial in Washington, D.C. in in VR. And so any aging veteran that isn't able to travel on an honor flight, and we want to be clear that this is not a replacement for honor flight. The best experience, the real experience is way better than seeing it through a pair of goggles. This is the last resort for people who can't make a flight. And so uh, before we get to helium, so this experience also translates to other things that you're doing uh, in um, countries outside the United States and things of that nature. So talk about that a little. Yeah, Story Up is one part um, brand studio. So we create virtual and augmented reality experiences for brands brand journalism, as you might call it. My background is as a journalist, so we tell a lot of our stories kind of in that style as a journalist might tell them. But we're hired by brands, Google charities, to create these experiences and allow people to step inside these stories in in virtual or in augmented reality as well. And then our product is Helium. These are little meditation mindfulness kits uh, with goggles using virtual and augmented reality and wearables. So a wearable as a brain sensing headband, it's just a little tiny headband that's on your forehead or your heart rate from your watch. We can take the output of your physiology, put it inside the goggles and you can use that feeling to float up the side of a waterfall. You can go deeper into a fractal animation. You can hatch butterflies with your feelings of positivity uh, through augmented reality. So these are all neuro-meditative experiences and a different way to meditate than close your eyes and meditate. It's open your eyes, become more self-aware of what your emotions look like displayed on the screen, and then to know that they have power 
power, not only in the virtual world, but then in the real world as well. So, so what is possible with this technology? What, what are the limitations of it? And Because um, I'm thinking, and this is going to sound silly, but I'm sitting here thinking, who are the people that I really wanted to experience in concert or whatever that I never, and one of those people is Elvis, right? Yeah. I always wanted to see Elvis in concert, but the, the time that I was old enough to do it and the time that he passed away were just too close and I never got to do that. It, are things like that possible in mm-hmm. VR? Yes. So, and they are working more and more with bringing people back from regular flat video and putting them into immersive environments. So I have no doubt very soon you will be able to sit right next to Elvis while he is giving a concert. You can already sit on Paul McCartney's piano. Oh my gosh. Now you're speaking to and my heart. And be inside one of his concerts. They have 360 degree cameras. We use six up to 24 different cameras set up in, in an array and it's VR and AR is kind of difficult to create. Mm-hmm. Early on, there were, weren't a lot of manuals. We literally were translating from French. For some reason, a lot of the software was <laughs> written in, in French, but now there's a lot of tutorials, but it's hard to create because it's high resolution files. But one of the challenges is just capture and playback because it's, it's um, incredibly large files. But yes, Elvis, there are all kinds of really phenomenal experiences, not just on on the Helium app. Helium app, you can go all over the world, Amazon, Congo, Zambia. You can experience some stories about empathy in addition to meditative experiences that are meant to quiet your mind, open your heart. We have an equanimity profile Helium is combining VR essentially with neurofeedback. So if you're familiar with neurofeedback, we're not injecting anything to your brain or anything like that. We're just using it as a measurement tool Uh so you can know what your body's doing. Well, if I can sit with Paul McCartney at his piano, that will do my heart a lot of good. I I will tell you that right now. I I would sign up for that tomorrow. I I love that. Yeah, that's on the Jaunt app, J-A-U-N-T. Cool. So now tell me how you're using this in companies. So we use Helium um, and companies as an alternative to their break room. So companies are encouraged to rethink their break room. It's not just a place where you can go get snacks or eat. You can actually scale up the side of the waterfall with your feelings. You can hatch butterflies from a, a, a chrysalis. You can, you know, escape, and that's what it's meant to be. A lot of companies are using them in their relaxation rooms. Uh, D.C. area hospitals have installed Helium bars, These are, you know, banks of goggles where nurses can go and have four minutes of virtual peace to help them fight something that's called compassion fatigue. Mm, And what is that? So compassion fatigue is rampant among caregivers. They never have an opportunity to decompress after they've covered a homicide or after they've had a patient die or something traumatic. There are certain occupations where people are seeing trauma over and over and over again. Journalists um, are some of them. And CEO coaches, <laughs> we, yeah. we suffer from that too. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of stress and stress misplaced as we know, makes people sick. And as a busy journalist, I suffered from that. I covered the aftermath of the, of the tsunami. I was sat by a police scanner for 20 years. You know, think about that. You bet. And that really takes a toll on people. And it took a toll on, on me and my mental health. And it certainly does a lot of other people. And this is not any kind of replacement for psychotropic medication. I want to be clear about that. Sure. This is just a virtual escape, a quick way to downshift your brain 
when you need some virtual peace. Yeah, the way I've always thought about it in my own case where, I mean, you listen to a lot of problems. You listen to a lot of emotional trauma. You want to be there as a support, you know, and and you have to, to be a good coach. You have to be a good listener, right? And so all of that takes energy from you because it takes energy to maintain focus. And after you've poured out so much from inside you, you got to put something back, right? And I've always been very careful about what I put back um, to replenish myself. And but I've I've often thought about what you're talking about, so I'm really interested to hear. Um, this is a great idea for companies for employees because they're providing them the healthy putback, right? The, the healthy helium. filler, yeah, the helium. Um, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. The name of that product was on purpose. It's spelled H-E-A-L-I-U-M, heal, Liam, but putting it back into the individual so that they can rise higher as if a helium obviously lifts a a balloon. But uh, self-care is really important. And there are a lot of mindfulness and meditation programs and not to detract from this, but this is another tool in your toolkit. If you don't have a long extended period of time, You're not someone who is a close your eyes and meditate kind of person. These are visual experiences. These are guided meditations and it comes with a video curriculum. And about how long is it? So there are a dozen different experiences on the platform and then every 60 days a new one is added. They're about four minutes and that's usually a good enough time. Um, We test all of our experiences with hospital grade EEG to know what are they doing to brainwave patterns? Are they actually quieting them? And you're able to see a difference in those brainwave patterns after about four minutes. And they have a meditation with a guided voice. Some of them are just music. Some of them are nature experiences and it's a walk in the park. For when you can't leave the office and and take a walk in the park. And I can tell you from experience to get a high level executive down to four to seven minutes of quiet time is a major accomplishment. I mean, when they go on vacation, they're really not on vacation. You know what I mean? So I could see where that would be a real benefit um, to them to be able to relax and do the relaxation techniques involved. And as a reminder to breathe too, it has a lotus flower that opens and closes right in front of you that reminds you the proper breath. And all of these experiences are written with um, my co-founder, Dr. Jeff Tarrant of the Neuromeditation Institute, and he is a counseling psychologist. And so what does this do for you personally? Okay, so you're now a business owner that's providing this service to people. What does that do for Sarah Hill? Well, I created helium for me, right? I suffered from anxiety and I actually had panic attacks. Um, And it's not something that I've talked about a whole heck of a lot. But when you cover trauma, you know, we were in a lot of, you know, foreign countries covering trauma. The tsunami was a, a really massive thing. And we would go into these countries with trauma psychologists, hear all, all of those stories, homicides, you know, rapes, murders. Yeah, I had a great feature beat. But, you know, before that, we, we covered a lot of sure. uh, stuff. And so helium, you know, is as much for me to detox and to shift my media diet in a way that is more healthy because if we keep putting in all the stuff that's out there you know the stuff you read in your social media feed oh my you know it made me sick yeah 
Yeah. I've told this story before, but I, I think I just relate it to you real quick. I went to a funeral of a, of a board member of a company that I work with and somebody came up to me at the, uh, at the funeral afterwards. And they said, I just want you to know, I follow you on social media. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And they said, does anything bad ever happen to you? And I said, yeah, sure. But I just don't put it on social media. You know, I just choose not to broadcast that. And I thought that was a major compliment because, as you say, if you're reading your news feed and social media, I mean, people do. They don't have any other outlet sometimes to put that stuff out there. And they're looking for connection and they're looking for empathy and they're looking for people to sympathize with them. And the things that you're talking about is a great way for people to get rid of all that, you know. Mm -hmm. Think yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah, it's a media detox in a in a different way. Using media in a different way to get all of those, all that negativity out, and we actually have data to show that increases those feelings of positivity. It's an area of your brain called your gamma asymmetry, and you have more gamma asymmetry after some of these experiences. Yeah, we we have studied here at our company for years the effects of advertising on people's um, brains and also different kinds of counseling and coaching techniques that people will accept and reject and those kinds of things. So it is real. And when used for proper healthy purposes, it's an awesome science. Now, let me ask you about virtual reality and other applications. Where is it going? Like, where do you see virtual reality in our everyday lives? Um, Do you see that increasing or... um, Mm-hmm. Where do you see that? Yeah, virtual and augmented reality. Uh, the world is no longer flat. It's become a place that you step into. And every single real estate, medicine, education, it's becoming pervasive in all of these areas because you can step inside the story and feel like you're there because it creates a greater sense of empathy and does something to trick your brain into making you feel like it's actually happening either inside these goggles or through augmented reality. And when I say augmented reality, I mean the real world. You see the real world, but there are 3D objects superimposed over the real world, kind of like a hologram in Star Wars Mm -hmm. or via Snapchat. If anybody's familiar with Snapchat, that's augmented reality. And we also work with mixed reality, which is you're able to interact with some of these 3D objects that are out there and helium has it both ways with the goggles and also without the goggles too. Yeah. I was just showing a video to a group here at our office this morning about Amazon's VR. So the shopping experience, Uh honey, we need a new washer and dryer. We'll put the goggles on, you know, or, or the real estate agent calls me and says, we have a couple of houses for you to look at, put the goggles on. Now, the thing I wonder about though, is does that increase our sedentary habits? If, if we are not actually going to these places or we're not actually getting out, I mean, what are the dangers of that, you think? Yeah. Or- oh, I'm sure there's, there's you know, dangers of sedentary habits. However, there is VR exercise programs oh, wow. that okay. are out there. Yeah, you can run along a trail and hop over imaginary obstacles, you know, using augmented reality and, and that kind of thing. They have VR treadmills and there's a phenomenal game called Beat Saber. A guy recently lost bunch of weight like 30 to 50 pounds I think playing it and it's essentially like a guitar hero 
but in VR and oh, you wow. have these lightsabers and you're playing these games. So it's really, I guess I could really work cool. out with Bruce Lee if I wanted to, you, <laughs> you know, probably or, could, you know, or, or whatever, you know, I guess I wasn't thinking about that. Well, it's absolutely awesome. So just before we, we move on, what's something about VR that is a myth that people, people think, but are wrong. They think that it's just roller coasters or horror games. Uh, and a lot of times when we put people in their first virtual reality experience, that's what they're expecting. They're expecting to be scared or, you know, put on a roller coaster or something like that. So when we put them in a beautiful, meditative, um, positive, motivational experience, they're, they're quite often surprised. So, you know, that's the myth that, that we want to try to counteract is that it's not all roller coasters and and horror movies Mm -hmm. and it's not brainwashing no yeah it's not brainwashing yeah these are guided meditations much as you would hear an audio guided meditation or or something like that it's for people who are visual and they need you know a quick reminder quick fuel quick helium to lift them up so they're able to go on with the rest of their day this is absolutely awesome and wonderful and so i'm so happy you're doing this because you just look really excited when you talk about it I am excited. We're excited to get in the hands of more people who can use it and educate them more about the power of technology to make them more self-aware of their emotions. So I usually ask this, but I didn't ask it. But before we get to my rapid fire questions, tell me about your family real quick. Yeah. So I have two kids and three, if you count my husband, four, if you count my mother-in-law who lives with us. What about the dog? Well, yeah, we've got three dogs who drag in raccoons and possums um, all the time. But I enjoy that about your Facebook (laughs) feed. I enjoy seeing what the dog brought in. It's so crazy. My kids are 22 and soon to be 21 and they're doing great. Tyler's in real estate and Allie is at the, the journalism school here. She's going into video storytelling. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So here's a standard list of closing questions I ask everybody that comes on the show. All right. Best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? That would be um, my marriage. You know, that sounds really cliche and unoriginal, but... um, How'd you meet? He lived across the street from me in Canton, Missouri. All right. Yeah. And so um, I can still imagine the... Uh, look in his eyes from the pastor who was so incredibly nervous when he married us for some reason his hands were shaking huh. Rob took my hand and, and squeezed it as if to say it's you know it's gonna be gonna, yeah right. yeah hometown sweethearts yeah high school sweethearts oh great mm-hmm. number one hero in your life Jesus Christ obviously perfect top value you subscribe to gosh you just asked me he <laughs> stumped me because there are so so many of them um and a lot of it has to do with my faith and we probably don't have time to go into that, but looking out for the, for the least of these. Mm-hmm. Um, most important person in your life? Uh, in my life? Mm-hmm. My God. Good. Your favorite thing in the whole world? My favorite thing in the whole world is my family. What's your favorite food? Cheerios and well, Diet Pepsi. <laughs> do you like regular or honey oat? Regular. Regular. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, most beautiful place you've ever been to? Um, Harmon's, Jamaica. Uh, it was beautiful in a way that it was beautiful for people. We were there on a mission trip with the crossing, beautiful sunrises, and people who have hope in their eyes in a place that you might not think that there's hope. Um, if you could describe success in one word, what would it be? Um, fulfillment. 
How do you want to be remembered? Someone who added value and provided service to other people. Great. What would be some advice you would give a younger Sarah? Don't stress as much. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be all right and take more time for self-care. What's your favorite sound? Laughter in my house. And the best lesson you've ever learned? Nothing matters if your family is not on board and uh, is a part of your support mechanism. So true. So great to have you here today. Thank you. So tell everybody about how to find out more about you and about your company and where where would they go to find out more? Sure. You can go to tryhelium.com. That's T-R-Y-H-E-A-L-I-U-M. So like heal, tryhelium.com. And also follow us on our social media site at Sarah Midmo, S-A-R-A-H-M-I-D-M-O. Helium is Helium XR. X stands for Extended Reality, Virtual Augmented Reality, Helium XR on Twitter, or uh, Story Up Studios on Twitter. That's the name of our studio. We're also on Facebook as well. And we do a lot of uh, conferences uh, around the world speaking about the power of new technology and the power of helium to make you more self-aware of what your feelings look like. Well, I know you travel a lot and you're really busy and you've got your family and all, and I just appreciate you coming by and spending a few minutes with me. And hopefully you'll come back and tell us about things as you have breakthroughs and as you have, um, you know, advances and, and things like that. I'd really be interested in having you come back and tell us all about it. Yeah, I would love to come back and I, I want to get you a demo. That sounds good. Thanks. Thank you. Enjoyed that visit with Sarah Hill of Story Up VR. Such a fantastic, wonderful entrepreneurial story. Stand by. I've got some uh, listener questions I'm going to answer next on Better Than Before. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home which means we care for customers like we care for the community. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before, powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Tony Richards, and we're going to reach in the mailbag this week and pull out some listener questions. Be glad to take your questions. All you have to do is email us at info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. About once a month, we take your uh, listener questions from email, and I do my best to give you answers here on the Better Than Before podcast. This person says, when mentoring an emerging leader, what three things would be of utmost importance to focus on with them? With an emerging leader, one that's headed toward the executive path, 
One really important thing is emotional intelligence or EQ. The ability to manage yourself and clearly articulate your emotional state in a way that helps your interpersonal interactions uh, with other people. It can be amazing for stress management. It can be amazing for all kinds of negativity and negative situations. So I would almost put that in all three answers. What three things? Emotional intelligence, number one. I would say P&L, number two. So you got to learn how to, if, if you're not looking at a budget, if you're not looking at a P&L, if you're not looking at costs and you're not invited to help with the budgeting process and those kinds of things, then you're probably not moving up. You got to focus on the financial end of things and on the business end of things. I would get exposed to some financial parameters in the industry that I'm in and uh, learn a little bit about the P&L. What does it take to run the business? You can start getting ideas on how to run the business better once you're exposed to the baseline way um, that it runs. So I would say emotional intelligence, number one, budgets and P&Ls, number two. And then number three, and this kind of goes with the emotional intelligence, would be leading people. Farther you get toward the top, And the farther you get away from the entry level, the more you have to get things done through other people. So you've got to polish up your what I call level two leadership skills. So level one is getting a result yourself. And level two is getting that same result, but through somebody else with you being hands off. And a lot of times I equate it to like a sports coach. A sports coach cannot go on the field of play. They have to win the game through the players who are the legal participants on the field. So coaches can't get out of the coach's box. They can't cross that line or they get a penalty. We should have something like that in business. We don't. And so we have a lot of micromanagers in business and we have a lot of people who are in areas that they should be getting done through their people so they can free themselves up for higher level things. That's the third thing I would say. You have to master getting business results through other people. Question number two, this person says, what are your two best practices you employ as a writer and or a blogger? Good question. I write at least twice a week. I I actually try to write every single day. And that's what I would say to you is If you want to be a more consistent writer or blogger, or at least dive in, find a little bit more of your own self to interject into your writing, you have to write. What does it take to be a better speaker? You got to speak. What does it take to be a better writer? You got to write. What does it take to be a better anything? Repetition. So repetition builds skill. Continue to do it over and over and over. Each week, I write the Monday morning memo, and then I write a Friday morning blog post for our website on one of the subjects that we deal with here at Clear Vision. And then this just happened to be the week where I wrote three things because I had an article in the Columbia Tribune. So I had three pieces to write last week. And if I basically focused on one per day, that only leaves me two days out of the week not to write. I would write something every day. I would also journal because you get thoughts and ideas and causing yourself to journal on a regular basis makes a habit of dumping out your ideas on paper. They may not seem like very beneficial ideas at first, 
But if you keep noodling with them and working with them, there's probably something there that you can use. So those would be my two best practices. Question number three, this person says, why do you think leaders fail to take action? This is a fairly easy one for me. It's fear. Fear is a paralyzing agent. And so if you haven't heard our podcast on resistance, where I talk about the Stephen Pressfield book uh, that just came out a couple of weeks ago called The Artist Journey, resistance is the agent that tries to keep us from being our best self. If you're failing to take action on something, it's because you're feeling some resistance. That resistance is usually tied to something that you're afraid of. You know, Maslow said in his hierarchy of needs model that safety and security is a basic human need at the bottom of the pyramid. And so when you don't feel safe and secure, you're going to draw in and be very conservative. When you're headed toward being your best self, you're not going to feel as much fear. You're going to feel more confident. You're going to feel like you know what direction you have. You're going to feel better about that direction. You're going to feel more together. That's what I would say to the answer of why uh, do leaders fail to take action. There's some kind of fear. If you told me more about the specific leader, I think, you know, we would flesh out together what it is that's the blockage. And it could be something that should very well be considered before taking action. I don't believe in just taking action to take action because you can take action on some bad things and it could be a mistake. But most of the time it's fear. This person says, what do you do or advise your clients when it's obvious a goal will not be attained? So I think you just got to deal with realism. Go back and examine the goal and look at it very, very carefully. Review what steps did we take? Why did we think this was going to be possible? Was the goal realistic to begin with? Did we do our due diligence in laying out a plan that was going to be effective enough for us to get the result we wanted? And then if the plan was good, did we execute on all parts and facets of that plan in order to get the results? And so if we had the plan to get the results and the results were realistic, we should have attained it. Unless some kind of anomaly happened, something weird happened... I want to see the plan and see where we went wrong in putting together the plan or where did we go wrong in executing the plan. It's not that difficult. It could only be one of three things. We either didn't have a good plan or we didn't execute the plan we had very well or it wasn't realistic to begin with. But I think you've got to go back over it like that and check and see where the problem was because doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is insanity. Things to think about and consider. This person says, how important is active listening and how do you do it? So I have this model, the six levels of listening. So it starts with ignoring at the bottom and goes all the way to active listening at the top. I think it's very, very important. As a matter of fact, I heard once that truly listening to another person is the purest form of love you can give them. And people are very accustomed to not being listened to. So they're not used to somebody really paying close attention and really being quiet because I've walked away from conversations before 
and come back to that same person like two weeks later. And I asked him, so how's it going with the thing that you told me? Because you told me this and you told me that and you told me the other thing. And they're like, wow, you were really listening to what I said. I mean, they were really surprised because people are not really accustomed to another person really paying attention and listening to them. So active listening is very beneficial. It shows a high degree of respect for the other person. And it builds trust when you're actually actively listening to what they have to say. And I'm not talking about pretend listening or mumbling or looking at your phone while they're talking and you're like, yeah, yeah, I hear you. It's really not listening. So active listening is really important. Now, as far as how do you do it, uh, this takes a high degree of emotional intelligence. I mentioned this a little bit earlier Emotional intelligence has to do with listening. It has to do with social skills and empathy. The ability to quiet your own mind. Sometimes the voice in our head is louder than the voice that's talking to us from another person. So you have to learn to quieten your voice down and really slow down the self-talk stream that's going through your head. And it takes training. You may have to slap your cheek a couple of times and tell yourself, settle down and listen, settle down and listen. Why do you do that? Well, because you don't fight thoughts with thoughts. You fight thoughts with words. Because if you try to fight thoughts with thoughts, you're going to get really frustrated. Because if you're sitting there and your self-talk stream is going and you're trying to interrupt that self-talk stream with other thoughts, it's just going to be a big confusing mess. And you definitely aren't going to hear the other person. Try this exercise here. And Bill, would you help me out with this exercise? Sure. Okay. I want you to start counting to yourself right now from one to 10. Now tell me your name. William. What happened to your counting? It stopped. Right, because you have to fight thoughts with words. Words are more powerful than thoughts, and you don't like anybody's voice better than yours. I mean, when you start talking, your head listens even more intently than another person. So this is all in training yourself to be a better listener. You have to talk to yourself. Now, I know that sounds kind of strange the first time you hear it, but that's what good affirmations are for is so that your head can hear what's coming out of your mouth and it interrupts your conscious stream and starts to reprogram your conscious stream. And so you might want to just start telling yourself, I'm a better listener. I listen to everything people say. I don't lose focus. You know, all of those kinds of affirmations to yourself. And after a while, you'll start to believe you. And it all starts in our belief system. And before you know it, we'll be a better listener. Uh, But you can't interrupt yourself halfway through and say, oh, I never listen to any. I I have such a hard time being a listener. I, I never listen to anybody. I'm so distracted. My phone owns me. I don't own my phone. My phone owns me. Well, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. So it's only when you start saying things to yourself that's what you want versus what you don't want. Why do you keep saying what you don't want? That doesn't make any sense. So when you say what you don't want, you reinforce the negative programming you already have. When you start saying what you do want, it starts reprogramming yourself to what you do want to have. So last question for today's show, number six. This comes from a person who says, How do you or advise your clients to curtail territorialism or tear down silos in organizations? Well, this is another kind of a long answer, but so I'm going to try to be short on this one. Silos are created from the top down and leaders create silos. 
employees at the bottom don't create silos. Employees in the middle don't create silos. They are just following the lead of the person above them. So you have to have loyalty, integrity, and trust with the team members at your level horizontally. And then you also have to have trust and respect and loyalty to your team members vertically. Silos occur vertically. And a lot of times it's because you don't have alignment horizontally. So if you have two departments that each have a department head at the top and those two people don't get along, I promise you the department won't get along. That's what's going to create the silo. If you want to curtail territorialism and tear down silos, the leaders at the top have to be the first ones. It's like culture change. Leaders at the top have to go first, and they have to change their habits and behaviors. And then the people who are modeling them, since they are an avatar for the organization, it will begin to trickle through and cascade throughout the organization. But if you have silos in an organization today, it's because it's cascading down from the top. If you're the top executive, you need to get everybody together and say, look, I've been the problem and I'm going to change that. And from this day forward, this isn't going to happen anymore. This isn't going to happen anymore. And this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And I expect the same from you. Why is that so hard? I don't know, but it's hard for a lot of people. Those are our listener questions for this week's episode. If you've got a question you'd like to ask, I'd love to hear from you. It's one of my favorite parts of doing the show is answering questions. Email us at info at clearvisiondevelopment.com. This week's show brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, will always be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to get this podcast every week coming directly to your device, thanks a lot for listening to everybody. I'd, I'd really love it if you give us a five-star review. And uh, we'd love it if we could get 50 five-star reviews by the end of the year. So if you could do that for us, uh, I'd love you forever. Thanks for tuning in this week. Do something nice for somebody for a change. How about it? Okay. This is Tony reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.